everybody. Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And Rick, I'm getting pretty good on that guitar riff, aren't I? <laughs> this is actually John performing. I'm Rick Klein. I'm the political director at ABC. And I can confirm that John has no musical skill. Uh, he may be slightly better at politics than the rest of this. But what a week, John. What's going on out there? It's Russia with love. Russia I with mean, love. I this mean, is, this, is this is the week. This is, this is Russia week. Yeah. The, the yeah. party of Ronald Reagan. The party that has been beating up on Russia... For as long as there's, I mean, you know, I mean, as long as there's been an American foreign policy, uh, is uh, is now got a nominee that is fully embracing the dictator in Moscow. Ronald Reagan is rolling over. I mean, this is you. Did you remember that part, Mr. Gorbachev? Tear down that wall. But let, let's come on, let's shake but, it you know, out. To be let's fair, look it out. <laughs> to, to, to be fair, Reagan never asked Putin to tear down anything. True, that's so, true. So um, he maybe would have liked Putin. Yeah. Uh, one of the bizarre thing. I mean, this was the first week. The candidates were out in full force right after Labor Day, the first time that they were on, uh, on a similar stage, and it's kind of a preview of the debate to the commander-in-chief forum. And what's interesting, John, is that Hillary Clinton got widely panned uh, in, in the immediate uh, aftermath of that, of that event. And people said, wow, she looked defensive, and she was bumbling on some things, and she may have gotten herself worse on Iraq. But Trump has taken a beating afterward. You had the Putin comments. You had his bizarre comments about intelligence briefings. You had him insisting that he was against the Iraq war, which is, you know, it's on the public record. He was not against the Iraq war at the beginning. He never said it that, that we can find. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people trashing their heads about which guy, you know, which, which Trump we're seeing and whether this guy actually is prepared for the job. How do you think Matt Lauer did? You know, hey, you know, look, it's a tough job for these for these guys. I don't, I don't. I, you know, was, that was unfair. Right? I, I, I no, look at that, that man. It's, a, but he's not going to be the president. So right, right. <laughs> you know, we can talk about Hillary. <laughs> we, can talk, we can talk about Trump. But uh, you know, what a what a what a uh, topsy turvy week. Uh, but, and, and meanwhile, you got state polls and national polls that suggest this is a dead heat. But you know, but but seriously, this was this was an incredible forum to see the two of them again on the same stage for the first time not at exactly the same time but uh but you know this was a big event and to see all three on that stage completely you know trounced by everybody <laughs> i mean it was a tough night yeah, yeah. uh but but I, I i agree watching the event uh it seemed that it was hillary clinton at, at one of her worst performances I, I i thought uh as as a candidate i mean she was very defensive legalistic clearly irritated by the line of questioning um but i think that the longer term damage from that night may well have been done to Donald Trump. It sure looks like that. I mean, you, you, the, the, you know, the Putin thing alone would be, yeah. you know, something that you could, you know, launch a thousand attack ads off of. And, you know, can you imagine if Hillary Clinton had talked about what a great leader Vladimir Putin is? I mean, just put the shoe on the other foot for a second. And the intelligence thing, and we're going to talk to, to Steve Ganyard, who is a, a veteran of the intelligence world and the military world, knows a lot about these, these sort of briefings, uh, our ABC News contributor, about the implications of all of that and, uh, and, and what it means for, uh, for his candidacy moving forward. But yeah, I, I, I think that it allows the, the lines to be a little bit more sharply drawn. And uh, the fact that by the end of the week, uh, Donald Trump was appearing on Russian state TV, I mean, uh, that's interviewed just by Larry mind King. Blowing. First yeah. of all, that Larry King had a show. I, 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 I have to admit, I did not realize. I'm not a big RT viewer, <laughs> uh, but but I did used to work with Larry King back in the uh, back in the CNN days. I had no idea that he was now on the on the Russian payroll. Maybe, maybe Trump didn't either. According to believe the campaign, <laughs> maybe, but maybe. so they, you know they they have to they have to you know plow through that. 
but it's allowed it's allowed Clinton to go back on offense. And you know, by the way, she's suddenly become the most successful presidential candidate, basically in presidential candidate. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, she's out there every yeah. day talking to the press, on the plane, off the plane, everywhere in between. Uh, and she's got a message to bring, and it's an aggressive message against Trump. So we're also going to talk to Micah Cohen with five thirty eight about the polls. It's. Uh, it's been interesting. The, the the CNN poll hit hit with a thud here, uh, certainly in Brooklyn, uh, you know, showing uh, showing this race statistically tied. We've also had a series of state polls that have come out uh, from Quinnipiac that show uh, you know, the, the the race tied in Florida, uh, that, that show the the race a, a dead heat in in Ohio and Florida. I mean, I mean, Ohio and Pennsylvania. I mean, suddenly it looks like. Trump rising in the polls. Yeah, and you know, I think you have to expect some of this. The convention bounce clearly went Hillary Clinton's way, and then he followed that up with kind of the worst couple of weeks of any candidate in history, if you remember that from a few weeks back when he's battling with a Gold Star family. So yeah, you were going to bounce back from that, but this is it is striking when you go state by state and you see the margins start to start to close, the national polls as well. Uh, but you know, the, the, the electoral map remains a very stubborn one for Trump. He needs to run the table in all of these battlegrounds. He can't really lose any of the major battlegrounds. Uh, but he, he now you, you, you enter this, this phase now, John, where you have to say two months out, Clinton has a lead. It's not an insurmountable one. It's a significant one statistically, but it's not so sizable that you can see you're running away with this thing. So uh, I also learned something new this week. Wow. Yeah. That's the headline. Uh, this was big. So uh, this was from Rudy Giuliani, who uh, I guess arguably is the most important Donald Trump surrogate. I mean, certainly, I mean, one of top, He's the one who's most excited to run against Hillary Clinton, I think. Yeah. <laughs> he's excited um, You know, but, but he's a guy there. He's also advising the campaign, obviously working with the campaign. I mean, this is somebody – and he, he told me something I did not know. Uh, he said in an interview that Donald Trump now believes that Barack Obama was indeed born in the United States. He said this in an interview with my friend Chris Matthews. And that is news. Because, Isn't that interesting? Uh, because so, 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 so Trump, so the has anyone ever tried to nail him down on that question? I can't remember if oh, that's that, ever come up. That's actually a very good question, Rick. And I actually do know that that was that, that this was actually talked about, actually by me. Oh, it was. Oh, oh yeah, wow. how about that? So, so I, I, I was a little flashback. I, I went to Donald Trump to his very first trip to Iowa as a potential 2016 presidential candidate. This is back in 2013 at the time of the Iowa State Fair, and. I, I asked him. I asked him about that whole uh, birtherism stuff, and here's what he had to say. You don't still question that he was born in the United States, do you? I have no idea. Even at this point? There are, well, I don't know. Was it a birth certificate? You tell me. You know, some people say that was not his birth certificate. I'm saying I don't know. Nobody knows. So, Rick, that didn't sound like a guy who uh, was about to change his mind on where he thought or didn't think President Obama was born. Yeah, and you saw his running mate this week also come out and say, I believe he was born in Hawaii. They've had to, they tried to have it both ways on this issue. And, you know, Trump views this as the issue that vaulted him to national prominence. He used the questions around Obama's birth status. That was his first big political splash of, the se- of this century. <laughs> so, do we, so is Rudy right? I mean, has he changed his mind? If so, why? I mean, he's been asked about this. And what convinced time. him? What convinced him? If so, yeah. I mean, what was the a, uh, right? Uh, What's the, was there? Is there a smoking gun evidence that, that finally convinced him? Because he's talked about investigators who were sending him incredible stuff, unbelievable stuff over the unbelievable years. Unbelievable stuff. Yeah. yeah. So he I, gave that. What was he gave? Like a five million dollar uh, offer to go out there and right, find fi- evidence. Yeah. And um, so anyway, I well, let's get right to the state of the race because this is where the fall campaign is on. I think we have right on the line right now. 
uh, our good friend, good friend of the Powerhouse Politics uh, uh, program here, Micah Cohen. Micah, are you with us? I am. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I, you know, b- before we, um, we ask you about the state of the race, I, I want to remind you of what you had to say uh, when you were on this very program. Um, so unfair. Oh, <laughs> Remember, and I, I should remind you, anything you say can and will be used against you. Okay? <laughs> so, so this is back during the, uh, during the Republican primaries when, when it looked like Trump had a, had a pretty good lead. Uh, let's take a listen. Donald Trump would not be a good general election candidate and has the possibility to, of being really quite disastrous. Like, um, it could be a, an epic disaster for the Republican Party. That's not certain, but it could be. Okay, so uh, either not very good or an epic disaster. Uh, have you figured out where, which one, now that he, in fact, won the nomination? I am a little happy to see that I couched my, uh, <laughs> my language in uncertainty. Uh, I was worried there for a second. So uh, I, I have to say personally, you know, he has not been the disaster that I thought he would be. Um, but I think he's certainly been really problematic. I mean, look, uh, Hillary Clinton herself is a really problematic candidate, the most unpopular nominee in modern, you know, presidential election history, except for Donald Trump. Right. (laughs) Right. So I think I think, yeah, except for that one exception. Um, So I think if you look if you look at it that way, if you had a kind of generic Republican in this race, I think that person would be leading Hillary Clinton by, I don't know, two, three points. So in that sense, Trump is now losing by by three, four points. That's pretty disastrous, right? Um, you so, know, but, but but the most recent polls we seem to have some real tightening. We had these Quinnipiac polls out: Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania. Uh, 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 the, the the race seems uh, seems to be incredibly tight, and uh, the CNN poll seems to have Trump rising. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it it is very. It's clear the race has tightened. Clinton was up, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine percentage points in mid August. The kind of preponderance of evidence now suggests she's up, you know, just three, four points. Um, that's a that's a big shift in the race. I don't think, though, um, it's it's fair to say yet, and we might get to this point. It's fair to say yet that this is a toss up or anything like that. Clinton still has clear edges in the swing states um, and nationally, so I do think. I I still am I still would say that that Trump is underperforming um, what a kind of a more traditional a more normal Republican nominee would do. That said, like he's you know we've seen as the race has tightened recently, we've seen it tighten more in the Midwest, for example, in Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, than in other battleground states. So you there is maybe evidence that. Trump has certain advantages with, you know, non-college educated white voters, for example. Yeah, well, I want to get at that demographic split because it it does seem like it's key to understanding where Trump could potentially be competitive. Is there anything that you've seen that suggests that the map could get wider, that a Wisconsin, say, could be in play or a Michigan? Is there anything that's happening in the states, you know, and driven by these demographics that you mentioned that suggests that, you know, he can start going on offense in some places? Yeah, I think so. I think so. You know, the race has gotten tighter and it's gotten tighter in Pennsylvania, 
Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, places with uh, a disproportionate share compared to other states of white voters without a college degree. Um, that suggests that he can make a real play there. You know, we have this calculation we do called um, the tipping point index, which sort of rates the states on how important they are to any candidate getting 270 electoral votes, right? And Michigan actually has kind of been climbing in those rankings, which is pretty weird. You know, Michigan, in recent elections at least, has been pretty safely blue. So I do think we're starting to see, um, you know, Trump maybe being able to put the Midwest in play uh, to a greater extent than other Republican nominees. Now, that's a double-edged sword, right? Um, He might be stronger in the Midwest relatively speaking, but he's also kind of underperforming a bit in what you might call like the New South, right? Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, um, Virginia, certainly. And so it, we are seeing the, the for the most part, the, the 2016 map looks similar to the 2012 map, but you are seeing these kind of subtle shifts in um, in the relative ordering of the states. And how does a smart person read the state polls versus the national polls? Is one a leading or lagging indicator? Is there any discernible difference from the fact that if you're in a living in a battleground state, you're seeing just a deluge of ads and messaging and candidates every day, or are they kind of tracking each other in, in predictable ways? Well, you'd have, you got to find a smart person, Rick, to talk I, to. Yeah, you're right. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's end this interview right now. Um, look, for the most part, as a general rule, um, the national polls and the swing state polls move together. Why? Well, uh, you know, the national the nation is made up of 50 states. And um, he is and smart. National- I knew it. See, listen yeah. to that. I thought it was, I thought it was 57 <laughs> <Yeah>. states. <laughs> I'm really, I really I did my well, homework for this, for this podcast. Okay. Um, no, but so, the, you know, the, the they tend to move together. And the swing states are swing states for a reason, right? Um, they sort of represent the nation uh in many respects. So in in general, they tend to move together. You do see, though, sort of, you know, small differences where, as I said, as this race has tightened, the Midwest has moved more than, you know, other states, Florida, for example. So what what, what about this uh, this notion that there are hidden Trump voters out there? That that, that some people are, are reluctant to tell a pollster that they're supporting Trump? So, so, that, so that polls are underestimating where he stands. Do you buy it? I I don't buy it. Although, look, you know, I've been wrong plenty of times this election, so that doesn't necessarily mean much. But, you know, I think first of all, we we've heard we hear this a lot, right? Is usually from when a candidate is losing, we hear from their campaign or their supporters that the polls are wrong because X, Y, or Z, and almost always that turns out to be wrong. You know, the polls can be wrong. They often are wrong. But it's very hard to predict in which direction they'll be wrong, right? Right. The polls may be underestimating Trump, but it's just as likely that they're underestimating Clinton. Um, You know, this shy Trump effect, which some people call it, this idea that the polls are underestimating Trump support because Trump supporters don't want to admit they're supporting Trump. You know, I think it comes in, in some small part from We've seen at various points during this campaign, online polls show better numbers for Trump than polls conducted with live telephone interviewers. 
Um, the idea being that if I'm just sort of clicking buttons on my computer, I may be more willing to admit that I support Trump than if I'm actually talking to a person on the phone. The problem with that is that wasn't always the case for the whole campaign. At other points of the campaign, they showed the same thing. Um, the only other thing I'd say is during the Republican primaries, we got a real test of this, right? And the polls, in fact, did not, on the whole, underestimate Trump's support. So if there was this, if there was this dynamic going on, if, if polls, if people were really scared to admit that they were supporting Trump, I think we would have seen that during the Republican primaries. I think we would have seen Trump consistently overperform his polls uh, in those states. And is there, in your mind, a, a tipping point in the polls where this becomes a runaway race? Is there a threshold that you say, look, this is now going to be insurmountable? Uh, you know, and, and just curious if a lot of folks have said, you know, maybe when people start to focus on this around the debates, but is there a number, a rough number that says this is going to be a blowout? It's a good question. You know, I thought in mid, you know, as August was progressing. Right. After the, after the conventions, you saw the big bounce from Hillary and, and, and Trump had a really rough time. Yeah. And Clinton was up, you know, eight, nine points. And you start, I started to think, well, maybe this is not a convention bounce. Maybe this is just the new normal of the race. And I thought that if that was true, you would maybe start to see, and there was, in fact, reporting and talk of this, you know, Republican Senate candidates, Republican House candidates uh, start to distance themselves from Trump, right, in a, in, a, in a more major way and kind of run on the, you know, as Republicans did in 1996 with Bob Dole, you know, explicit, explicit, explicitly saying, elect us as a check against President Clinton, kind of conceding the presidential race. Right. So I thought that was a possibility that if Trump remained down by, you know, margins in the high single digits, that it could compound on itself, right? And all of a sudden, if news cycles are dominated by other Republicans slamming Trump, then it kind of builds on itself, and then um, it becomes a runaway train. But, but since then, the race has tightened considerably. So I, I think that's less of a possibility. Although, again, you know, there's still two months to go. If if the debates move the race towards Clinton um, and Republicans feel like Trump is really hurting their chances in down-ballot races, which there is evidence that's happening, um, I think you still could see kind of things compound on itself and, and Trump's margin uh, gets, you know, he starts to get down by high single digits, maybe even double digits. All right, Micah, before you go, very quickly, your percentages now, 538 percentages on three things. Uh, first of all, uh, Trump winning the election. Trump currently has a 30% 30 per- 30 chance of winning the election, according to our polls-only model, which just looks at polls, and a 32% chance, according to our polls-plus model, which looks at polls and the economy. Okay, Republicans uh, losing control of the Senate. So we have not launched our Senate forecast yet. Um, so come on, just we, tell us. Give us, give us the Micah us. Cohen. Uh, <laughs> come on. Yeah, come on. I, I look th- again. This is not our forecast. I think it. We won't hold you to it, it unless you're wrong. What do you think? Yeah, no, clearly you will hold me to it. Um, <laughs> established. That we I, I think it's very. I think it's close. Um, I haven't looked at our 
our model yet, the output of our model yet, but I think it's going to be I think it's going to be pretty close to to 50-50. And Democrats retaking the House. I think that's very unlikely, very, very unlikely. I think Trump would have to lose by, you know, 11, 12 points. It would really have to be a disaster for Democrats to really take to, to retake the House. All right. Micah Cohen, 538, thank you for joining us again here on Powerhouse Politics. It was a great pleasure. Anytime. All right. And we we promise we will only hold anything you said against you unless, you know, only if it's embarrassing. That's it. Only only if it's embarrassing. It's a vow. You you have plenty to pick from. Plenty to pick from. All right. All right. Thank you. Now joining us here on Powerhouse Politics, retired Colonel Steve Ganyard, a former Marine Corps fighter pilot, a former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State in ABC News contributor and uh and all around good guy actually i was gonna say badass but if we can't say (laughs) that on the podcast we'll bleep it out but that's actually that's actually my preferred title for him but uh colonel gander you know a lot about intelligence briefings and how this stuff really works uh i want to i want to play for you what donald trump said about these intelligence briefings he's received and and get your reaction Take, take a listen I was very, very surprised in almost every instance. And I could tell, I have pretty good with the body language, I could tell they were not happy. Our leaders did not follow what they were recommending. Your reaction to that? Yeah, I, 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 I'm sure our friends in the intelligence community were, um, were, were, were um, quite upset to hear the, that, sort of, um, that sort of talk. Um, the, the thing that we need to understand here is that the people doing the briefings on intelligence uh, briefings are actually analysts. So they never they never recommend policy. They're doing assessments. So they do the assessments, and the people they work for, who tend to be presidential appointees, are the ones who recommend policy to the president. So the people that Mr. Trump was ta- not was talking to are not the people who recommend policy. And I think if there was any body language, it was probably the discomfort that they felt uh, knowing that whatever they said might be used or twisted uh, in a way that would would make them or the intelligence community look bad. So it doesn't seem to you plausible that you'd have a briefing that would telegraph the personal preferences of uh, of of the people that are doing the briefing and it would suggest no. that anyone that they disagree with the policy. No, no. And 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 I, I can only imagine how in this in this uh, contentious debate cycle uh, that these folks were 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 ready and and anticipating uh, some sort of of twisting the presentation or their words, and uh, so again, I think if there was any any uh, discomfort, it was not signaling any personal preference for a policy. Uh, it was more because they uh, understood that uh, what they were saying might be used against them or in a in a way that was untrue. This sounds like a heck of a briefing. NBC had a report that uh, uh, Michael Flynn, former uh, DIA chief, of course, uh, is now. You know, probably uh, Trump's most important national security uh, advisor had to be restrained by Chris Christie because he was uh, he, he was so aggressive, so the, aggressive in the uh, in, 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 in the uh, cross examination of these intel briefers. Now we, we we've been steered away from that. You know, saying that that, that was way too dramatic. But uh, I mean, somebody's saying that. <laughs> what, 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 what's your sense of what was going on in this briefing? Well, remember, you, you have um, you know the, the intelligence community is not monolithic. Um, you have DIA, you have CIA. Every one of the services has their own intelligence. Uh, State Department has a, has INR. Uh, Treasury's got intelligence. Everybody has 
some sort of an intelligence uh, capability or an, or an arm. And so DIA has always been sort of the JV to the CIA's varsity. And, um, and uh, General Flynn was the boss, and he did a great job while he was there. Uh, and so I'm sure he was expecting something much more substantial than, that, uh, than was given. And so that's probably, uh, that's probably what he was objecting to, not the, not the analysis itself, uh, because anything that a briefer is going to present to a presidential candidate or to a senior policy person will have been vetted around the IC. So it's going to be a consensus view. It's not going to be an individual's view. Uh, it's not going to be one department's view. It's going to be what everybody has sort of come to consensus. And if there isn't a consensus, they will note that in the brief. They'll say CIA, DIA concur, uh, INR does not. Um, but they're very open about who's, who's saying what, and, and they usually try to get to a consensus view. But to be clear, these briefings of presidential candidates, uh, and they've been going on for, for, for years and years, uh, are a general overview. It's not like a detailed drilling down on troop movements or, you know, uh, missile programs. I mean, this, this is a general kind of, kind of threat assessment. Right. Yeah, it's probably well. I, I think, and, and again, not knowing exactly what they're being briefed on, but when seniors get briefed, um, it, it tends to be sort of an around the world. It would be if you open the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and you took the top fifteen most uh, important uh, international stories. It would tend to be those stories with added layers of intelligence uh, behind it. Maybe there was, you know, maybe there was a phone intercept. Maybe there was somebody on the ground that told them something. So it would be something with the intelligence community's special collection capabilities added to that brief. So uh, when you have a new a new candidate, uh, Mrs. Clinton obviously has been involved in, in, in the international business for a long time. But with Mr. Trump, um, maybe they're doing it around the world about this is where we see uh, the Sudan. This is where we see Afghanistan. So if they're doing that sort of thing, um, then it's it's probably not going to be to the level of, of an intelligence, the very, very secretive stuff that General Flynn was looking for. Uh, but it just, again, depends on what kind of briefing they're providing and what the intent is. So let's move over to Russia for a moment, uh, oh, Steve, yeah. Steve, because there's another aspect of this forum that was really striking, which was that you, you saw uh, we saw this this glowing language that Donald Trump used to describe Vladimir Putin. He went on to do another interview with Russian state TV where he said they're not part of uh, – he doesn't think they're part of any hacking. We've seen Russian ties and, and uh, Russian influence kind of permeate this campaign. What's your read of what is really going on? Is this a candidate in Donald Trump who is naive, uh, being taken advantage of, or is there something even more nefarious potentially happening here? Well, you know, it. it um, I, I used to think the Manchurian Candidate was a uh, was a movie, and um, now I'm getting to wonder. No, I, I, but, this would be the, the Siberian real, Candidate, Steve. That's right. That's right. <laughs> not, not to not to uh, throw cast aspersions at the Chinese. Um, it. it um, I, I think that uh, as as Mike Morrell, former deputy CIA, said that uh, uh, Mr. Trump may be in some ways an unwitting agent of uh, of Russian influence here. This is. I think for most people who've been in the intelligence business or in the foreign policy business, they see these kinds of comments and uh, and they're quite shocking. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think there's a case to be made. I think if you polled everybody uh, that works uh, in, in the intelligence business in the world, they would tell you that the U.S. and Russia have, have de facto entered into a new Cold War. And um, we may not want to play with it, but uh, Mr. Putin's doing a very good job of, of playing the Russian hand. So, 
uh, it, it's all quite disturbing. And he was on RT, uh, the, the Russia Today, but now called RT, and and that that is a propaganda. That is like Pravda. That is that is a, a propaganda arm of the Russian government. And for him to go on and treat it like it was, you know, ABC or NBC or CBS, uh, is just it's deceptive. If somebody saw him on that, they would. Um, it's just deceptive to say that that's a, a true news outlet when it's really just a propaganda arm. Now, now, what they claim is that they were doing an interview with Larry King for his podcast, and they didn't they they were not aware that it was going to be broadcast. And we right. love podcasts. I mean, there's <laughs> nothing against that. Yeah, yeah we're, we're all for it. But by the way, Steve, we're not going to use any of this on RT. I, I, I <laughs> guarantee you. Lock solid. Um, so, but I, I got to ask you about something else. Just moving over to, to Hillary for for a minute here. Um, I'm. I'm still can't get my mind around the deletion of those emails, and I I, I know she's been asked about it. I know that uh, you know that, that, that this is an issue that probably dominated that that presidential forum, the commander in chief forum, maybe a little too much. But you know, I, you know, I was at the very first press conference that she held about the email issues at the UN over a year ago, where she revealed for the very first time that she separated out the work-related emails, turned them over, and then the personal emails d- deleted them. And I, I almost fell over at that press conference. I, I still can't believe it, and I still don't understand what uh, ec- explanation uh, there can be for it. Uh, I'm just wondering what, what your sense of this is. I mean, to, to, to you know, see, especially now that we've learned since then uh, that the emails were deleted after the New York Times story ran – uh, you know, after there was a subpoena. I mean, the, the idea that that you would destroy what is potentially evidence, just, I, I, I just, I, I can't understand why or, or how it's okay. Yeah, it's it's one of those that's very distressing. And, and um, you know, I've got some personal opinions on that that I probably just keep to myself. But I, I will say one thing, and, and that is, um, while she may have had the ability to say, well, I didn't know what the C was, um, on the, the other hand, symbol, yeah. the classified, yeah, for for confidential. Um, where I where I say that the, the people that don't have any kind of excuse are her aides, who were looking on either what we call Cipernet, which is the the, uh, the classified uh, inter interagency email, or there's a thing called JWix, which gives you top secret and above information. And to get the kinds of things that we're seeing, you know, there were I can't remember it was like three emails in one instance and seven in another. Were, were special access programs and sensitive compartmented information. The crown jewels of U.S. capabilities intelligence was, was included in there. Somebody was transferring that from very classified machines or very classified paper and knew that that was classified information. So the, the fact that all her aides went free is a thing that I have a hard time justifying because somebody knew. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she has an excuse but somebody was feeding her highly, highly classified information, knowing full well what they were doing. What did you make of that question from the uh, the veteran at the forum who said that if he had done what she did while he was in, 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 in the military and taken information like that, that he would have, you know, he'd be potentially be on his way to prison? Is that an yeah, overstatement? It, 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 Is there, what, what, no, what nope, it's not an overstatement. I mean, you see it all the time. I saw it during my career. It's still happening. You know, see where, where somebody who includes something, um, it, it, it can generally be a, a career ender uh, to divulge classified or, or or mishandle it. But, you know, this sort of goes back to the, the my distress of the military being 
pulled into a very politicized, uh, bitterly politicized campaign. Uh, you know, the military has to step back and say, there are politicians, there are other people, but you're in the military. You're there to support and defend the Constitution. You're going to be held to a higher standard, not only in your conduct, but in the eyes of the American people. You know, the, the military remains the most trusted institution in America. And to get dragged into politics or say, well, the politicians are doing this, why shouldn't why should we be held to, uh, to a lesser standard? Um, you know, the, the military's got to rise above this. And it goes back to having generals and admirals. Uh, out there campaigning for one side or the other. It's, it's quite distressing uh, to, to, I think, m- most people in the military because you are there to serve the Constitution, not to serve a political process. All right. Well, then you have Trump saying that he's going to, you know, we need to get a whole new round of generals. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> How would we're, that even work? How we, that... we know we got to let you go, but, but I mean, uh, w- w- what about that? I mean, I, I know that the whole thing he said, the general, the generals have been reduced to rubble. For, I, I understand that that there's some controversy about that. But what about the second thing he said, which is you, you need to have, you know, new generals, to be honest. I mean, yes. could, could so I, do I'll, that? I'll give you, I'll give you two, I'll give you two ideas. One, um, a case can be made that we've lost the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and somebody needs to be held accountable because we didn't win. Um, and so maybe some of those generals that are supporting both candidates uh, need to be held accountable uh, because it was their failure as much as it was a political failure. So if Donald Trump comes in and says, I'm going to fire a bunch of generals because they lost two wars and I want somebody with better judgment or better capabilities, that's that's legitimate. He can do that as a president. What he can't do is come in and say, I'm going to, I'm going to hire only generals. I'm going to fire a bunch of people and I'll hire only generals who agree with me because then it's a politicized process and then we turn into a banana republic. So it's whatever his intent and his motivations are, uh, and that's something that I think he's going to have to make very clear in the days to come. All right. One of my favorite uh, now civilians and former military leaders, Colonel Steve Ganyard, all-around badass, quite possibly the most interesting man <laughs> in the world. Thank you. For I don't know Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Thank you. Ah, man, the more you dig down, you really get to – I mean, the, Micah Cohen really, you know, put it in perspective here. You've got the, uh, the, the most unpopular – presidential candidate, major party nominee that we have ever seen in Hillary Clinton, with the exception of the person she's running against. Yeah. And fortunately for voters that hate them both, there are third-party candidates. And there's a certain one, a libertarian candidate named Gary Johnson that was, you know, he got an opportunity on MSNBC this week. I'm sure you've seen the clip. But uh, he was asked about a very serious national security, kind of America's role in the world topic. Take a listen to uh, Gary Johnson. What would you do if you were elected about Aleppo? About Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No. Aleppo is in Syria. It's the, uh, it's the epicenter of the refugee crisis. Okay, got it. Got it. So he got it. He got it. Wow. Yeah. Well, this has been the front page of newspapers for years. Yeah. Most recently, that incredibly sad photograph of the child... Um, uh, I mean, okay. I, I mean, so, you know, I, I will say to his credit that he, he he acknowledged that this was a, a perhaps unforgivable error. Uh, but I'll tell you, John, it, this to me had some serious consequences in the sense that he is making a vie for credibility in this race. He's making a serious push to get on a debate stage. Mitt Romney even went out and said he thinks that, that Gary Johnson, Bill Well, that the Libertarian ticket, they should get a shot at it. And so for in that context to go out there and whiff this spectacularly on a topic like this, wow. 
you have the do you have the the sound of of what he said afterwards? Yeah, we can play what he said on the View to our friends over at the View uh, in in response. Can you recover? Gosh, I, I guess people will have to make that judgment, but I, I will say that it is a process, and I respect the process. And for those that believe this is a disqualifier, so be it. Okay, so be it. So be it. Well, indeed. there you go, uh, Rick. Uh, I don't know what next week will. Uh, have in store, but certainly enjoyed uh, coming together with you here for uh, for another edition of Powerhouse Politics. You know how to get us on the iTunes Store, Stitcher, ABC News, Podcast.com, all of that stuff. Thank you uh, for listening, and we'll catch you again next week. Yeah.